0: Sharper Iron is underwritten by the Lutheran Church Extension Fund, where your investments help support the work of the Lutheran Church Missouri Synod. Visit lcef.org for more information. On this Monday, May 17th, we're studying Jeremiah chapter 3, verses 1 to 18. The adultery of Judah against the Lord has been much worse than her older sister Israel, even after Israel was exiled into Assyria. Yet the Lord still calls his faithless people to return to help us sharpen our faith in Christ as we study God's Word today, we have with us regular guest, Pastor Sean Denzer. Pastor Denzer serves as the Director of Worship for the Lutheran Church Missouri Synod and the Chaplain for the International Center. Pastor Denzer, welcome back to Sharp Ryan. Hey, it's good to be back. We are starting Chapter 3 of Jeremiah today. Pastor Denzer, any context on Jeremiah's ministry, the book as a whole, the preceding chapters that help us into the verses we've
1: got for today? not terribly uh i don't know if you spoke about this with other guests before but it seems that the prophecies of jeremiah that are recorded in the book are not necessarily Uh, following one after another in chronological order. There's some hints that suggest that uh, as the topics kind of change. And I think, uh, while I'm not an expert on Jeremiah, I think our section here in Chapter 3 begins something new. We've got a few markers that, that show a particular time mentioned. And it seems that what came before the call of Jeremiah and the kind of big opening speech uh, has much more to do with a, uh, probably a time that was actually a little later than what we're going to read today. But but uh, in everything that I've read, the reason that this comes at the beginning that we've everything we've just studied already is uh, this is a real summary of everything that the Book of Jeremiah has to preach. Uh, a summary of of the faithlessness, the the falling away of Israel and Judah. And uh, and the call, really, which all can boil down to return to the Lord your God, which we do get uh, at least mentioned once in our reading for today.
0: Hmm. Well, we we have talked a little bit about that in the introductory episode. We mentioned that Jeremiah is not strictly chronological in the way that that his book is is ordered, and and we've talked a little bit about some of the historical context in terms of in terms of this reading today, and we'll we'll read through the whole thing, of course. Uh, What are some of those markers that give us clues for when we might situate these words historically?
1: Well, we're going to see that uh, at least uh, partway through our reading today, we shift attention from the north, from Israel uh, in the north, to Judah in the south. And we kind of get to hear about Israel, but in the presence of the south. So the idea is to lay out uh, all of Israel's sins in the presence of Judah, that they might learn from it. But we're going to see quickly uh, the accusation is, no, you haven't learned from it, which shows that this is, you know, at a later point in time uh, after uh, Israel has already fallen in the north and uh, the, the prophets, the the prophecy of the destruction of the southern kingdom, Judah, carried away by Babylon, is, is going to be starting today here. Hmm.
0: All right, let's go ahead and take a look at the text then, and we'll, we'll pick up those historical markers as they come as well. Again, we are in Jeremiah chapter 3, beginning at verse 1. If a man divorces his wife, and she goes from him and becomes another man's wife, will he return to her? Would not that land be greatly polluted? You have played the whore with many lovers, and would you return to me, declares the Lord? Lift up your eyes to the bare heights and see, where have you not been ravished? By the waysides you have sat awaiting lovers like an Arab in the wilderness. You have polluted the land with your vile whoredom. Therefore, the showers have been withheld, and the spring rain has not come. Yet you have the forehead of a whore. You refuse to be ashamed. Have you not just now called to me? My father, you are the friend of my youth. Will he be angry forever? Will he be indignant to the end? Behold, you have spoken, but you have done all the evil that you could. The Lord said to me in the days of King Josiah, Have you seen what she did, that faithless one Israel? How she went up on every high hill and under every green tree and there played the whore? And I thought, after she has done all this, she will return to me. But she did not return, and her treacherous sister Judah saw it. She saw that for all the adultery of that faithless one, Israel, I had sent her away with a decree of divorce. Yet her treacherous sister Judah did not fear, but she too went and played the whore. Because she took her whoredom lightly, she polluted the land, committing adultery with stone and tree. Yet for all this, her treacherous sister Judah did not return to me with her whole heart, but in pretense, declares the Lord. And the Lord said to me, Faithless Israel has shown herself more righteous than treacherous Judah. Go and proclaim these words toward the north and say, Return, faithless Israel, declares the Lord. I will not look on you in anger, for I am merciful, declares the Lord. I will not be angry forever. Only acknowledge your guilt, that you rebelled against the Lord your God, and scattered your favors among foreigners under every green tree, and that you have not obeyed my voice, declares the Lord. Return, O faithless children, declares the Lord, for I am your master. I will take you one from a city and two from a family and I will bring you to Zion and I will give you shepherds after my own heart who will feed you with knowledge and understanding. And when you have multiplied and increased in the land in those days, declares the Lord, they shall no more say the ark of the covenant of the Lord. It shall not come to mind or be remembered or missed. It shall not be made again. At that time, Jerusalem shall be called the throne of the Lord and all the nations shall gather to it, to the presence of the Lord in Jerusalem and they shall no more stubbornly follow their own evil heart. In those days, the house of Judah shall join the house of Israel, and together they shall come from the land of the north to the land that I gave your fathers for a heritage. That's our text for today, Jeremiah 3, verses 1 to 18. Pastor Denzer, the, the text starts, and really it continues with this theme throughout this reality that the Lord is husband and his people are bride. And, and in a sense, it's, it's almost been building to the beginning of chapter three with this thought of divorce. that And so the Lord brings this up. What happens if a man divorces his wife? She goes, gets married again, and then she wants to come back. What happens? What's what, What's going on here? There's some Old Testament background we need to know to understand what Jeremiah is doing here at the beginning
1: of our text. Sure. And you're right. You know, we've had kind of literarily this shown in chapter two, right? Verse two of chapter two, I remember your love like a youthful bride uh, sets up the relationship between God and his people Israel. Uh, Israel here sometimes means both kingdoms, not just the north. Uh, but then we have the strange thing about the donkey in heat in verse twenty four right that she's run around and and can't be restrained and finally we get to now to the all the details maybe more than we really want to know and uh, and and the Lord starts with this kind of rhetorical question the answer should be clear in fact, the whole structure of the sentences should be clear because it's almost a, a direct quote it's a paraphrase of deuteronomy twenty four one to four here is uh deuteronomy is uh the whole book is is Moses's final speeches uh, there before the children of Israel enter into the promised land. He of course is not allowed to uh, and in this section of the speech is where Moses lays out his laws of divorce. Uh, we know that probably best from our Lords. Reference to it when he's asked by the Pharisees and scribes, you know, uh, well, Moses said we could issue this certificate of divorce. Uh, what do you say? And and Jesus says, well, yeah, Moses did that because you guys are hard of heart, but it wasn't that way in the beginning. Uh, and of course, Jesus then lays out his sexual ethic, if you want to call it that, and uh, and it's. It's far stricter, right? It's, his standards are back to the beginning. It's, it's, uh, it, the purpose of Jesus preaching the law is not to show us how, you know, with a few simple tricks and, and uh, extra rules, we can shield ourselves from the accusations of the law. His purpose is to let the law do its full work and condemn us so that we might be turned. In this way, the ministry of Jesus is quite prophetic as well, trying to call us back to repentance, uh, to seek the Lord and his mercy. So in in Deuteronomy 24, which is being quoted here, Moses lays it out. Uh, If a man divorces his wife, or we should say if the man issues the certificate of divorce to the wife, the wife in that case is able to go and get married again. But if something should go wrong in that other marriage, she's not permitted, according to the law of Moses there in Deuteronomy 24, to go back to the first husband. In fact, it says that would be an abomination to have this kind of defilement and and then to have it go back. So here the Lord has kind of quoted Moses here and but but he's putting it in in much bigger terms because this is not just any old man this is God himself this is not just any old woman this is the whole people of Israel and the land which is, you know, as a so to speak, the marriage bed of God with his people. this is this is the holy place. In fact, the holy place lies within this land. But, but that's why the stakes are so much bigger. In a sense, this is a rhetorical question saying, you wouldn't tolerate this kind of thing among you, among you humans. Moses himself wouldn't let the people do that. So why in the world should God uh, act in a different way? And the answer expected is, well, of course, I suppose he shouldn't, right? Uh, why should God take this woman back now that uh, their gods have cast her off, right? After she had run away from her original first love, her husband, the Lord himself, after these false, strange gods. Uh, and, and the implication is, well, that would be a foolish thing to do. God shouldn't do that. And that would only pollute his land, uh, so, so that's the end of it. You've played the whore with many lovers. Now you'd return to me, declares the Lord. And the implication is, well, uh, I don't understand how that should work. Hmm.
0: I, I wonder, you know, because I think that, that question there, would not that land be greatly polluted? You know, Im- imagine if this actually does happen. It seems rather far-fetched, I suppose, at the moment in Jeremiah. But imagine that it did happen, that, that Israel did want to return to the Lord. Would the Lord receiving her back pollute the land? I think the answer to that question is is actually no. because And, and I mean, just putting that in the context here of, of Jeremiah chapter three, then what really is polluting the land is, as he says at the end of verse two, the vile whoredom of his people. I mean, I mean, again, which I think fits in with everything he's been doing so far in chapter two, the Lord's making the case, the way things are right now, it's not the Lord's fault. It's all Israel's fault. And and so any anything that seems to be, you know, if if the people are going to say, look, this is your fault, Yahweh, that, that things are so polluted, he's going to come and say, No, it's not. It's your fault. And and what's what is it ultimately? And this is where, you know, I mean, the language is very explicit here in our text as well. It is the the whoredom, the adultery, the idolatry of the people of Israel. That's the real pollution of the land.
1: Yeah, well said. It it comes out clear when you have the context there, Deuteronomy 24, where it talks about the abomination. And it it puts the abomination with the woman, uh, not with the man. I think that's difficult for us to understand and grasp immediately in our day since we live in a place where no fault divorce has kind of deliberately been written into the laws uh, so that the courts don't have to wade into that mess. Uh, the Lord's still interested in the fault uh, in the scriptures, both in the Old Testament under this kind of provisional hardness of heart Moses law, but but ultimately and especially in our Lord's own instruction uh, in the Gospels. Uh, and, and yeah, there can be no question the Lord would have been right in divorcing his wife. He was not the guilty party. Uh, Israel was the one who was faithless and and. Uh, adulterous uh, against him. And yeah, in case we didn't mention it, the adultery here is not necessarily a a literal um, uh, physical adultery, but this is a grand metaphor for faithlessness uh, in terms of worship and faith and life. Uh, So instead of uh, being faithful to God, which, which is not done primarily in any kind of physical way at all in the worship of Israel, but is has to do with the temple, has to do with with trust, has to do with also then the way of life uh, according to his commandments. That's the faithlessness. Uh, and because uh, they're involved with all of these pagan idols, many of which, by the way, include sexual activity, uh, temple prostitutes, and all of that, as well as often these pagan gods are for uh, fertility matters. Uh, uh, Sex is entirely wrapped up in religion when it comes to the ancient world. That's what makes the people of Israel so unique in their commandments and, and their way of life that God has laid out for them. But, but they've abandoned those, uh, probably literally with many many kinds of uh, debaucheries that are common among the pagan, uh, pagan gods and their rites. Uh, but at the very least, there's a spiritual idolatry, adultery that has happened here
0: yeah probably as you said probably some of some of both the bigger one being the the spiritual idolatry the, right. that being the the but certainly the physical act would have been a part of the worship of Israel's pagan neighbors and and probably both things are going on now he he mentions and, and he said this before things like high places or here in, in our text uh, in verse two he talks about the bare heights what what's the significance of those types of places in the old testament and here in jeremiah
1: Sure. So initially, the the Ark of the Covenant didn't have a place to go when they had first moved into the land and were conquering it. The high places, uh, which is the top of mountains or or maybe even some you know built up platforms in cities or something, had become kind of the places where people would gather for, to a certain degree, decent uh, Israelite worship. Uh, But quickly, and especially after the Ark comes to rest in the temple, when the tabernacle has its place, uh, when the Lord establishes where he is going to dwell, then they're not supposed to keep worshiping on these places. They still do. And in fact, the high places become, it's very much kind of like South America uh, when, uh, you know, uh, Jesuits and Roman Catholic uh, missionaries would come over uh, from Europe. Uh, Their way of bringing Christianity was often to kind of baptize or welcome in the local gods and kind of recast them in terms of saints. Uh, and as a result, in South America, in Haiti, and other places, you have these kind of mixed up religions. Uh, I mean, there's an old word for this called syncretism—the idea that that you kind of mix mash uh, your religion in with their religion, and uh, and you get kind of a third, you know, a mixture of the two. And that's exactly what happened. We see that already, you know, with the golden calf that they even address this idol that they've made with their very hands that day. They call it Yahweh. They call it the Lord. Uh, And the same sorts of things continue to happen on these high places. Yes, to a certain degree, the worship of the Lord continues, but pretty soon you're mixing in some pagan practices. You're, um, You're using their methods, but you're using God's name. Uh, and this is all the kind of abomination to the Lord that he He forbids in the first commandment, that you're to have no other gods, you're not to worship idols, you're not to adopt their ceremonies and bring them into our services in any way. And again, something that we in the New Testament don't really understand, but it's absolutely at the forefront of the discussion uh, for people in the Old Testament. And even for those Samaritans, like that woman that Jesus meets, where are we going to worship? Do the true people worship at the temple in Jerusalem? Do they worship on Mount Gerizim? That's one of the high places that that lasted in the Samaritan region. And um, and of course, the good Jewish answer, the answer Jeremiah would have given is, of course you worship in Jerusalem. You worship where the Ark of the Lord is. You worship where he has promised to be and where he said we were supposed to be observing the sacrifices uh, Of course, that changes uh, when the Lord says, we're looking for those who worship in spirit and truth. Uh, This temple, the one in Jerusalem, is is not actually the most important thing anymore because my temple, my body, which dies and after three days is risen again, uh, that's going to be the true center and dwelling place of God with man. And actually, we get a prophecy of that just a little bit later here in Jeremiah.
0: Mm. Now, so all these high places, the Lord says, you can look at all of them. Is what He invites them to do. Yeah, Take a yeah. look, and and all of them are ones that you've used for your idolatry. I mean, he, again, He gets these very vivid images as He's describing the idolatry and the adultery of His people, and, and
1: over and over again, calling it whoredom. Yeah, drive and down, even, drive down the street, right? Look at all the look at all the hotel signs. You remember those hotels, right? That's I mean, right. That's kind of the implication going on here. Except these are the places of worship, right? Right,
0: right. And so, I mean, you know, everywhere they look, there is evidence of their idolatry against the Lord. Now, he uses the image in verse three that maybe requires a little bit of, of explanation. It says, you have the forehead of a whore. Uh, and this is an uncomfortable, shocking language. We talked a little bit about that last time at the second half of chapter two, that sometimes the Lord makes use of the shocking language to get his people's attention. And, and it continues into chapter three. What What is the Lord communicating with that phrase, the forehead of a whore?
1: I uh, admit that I don't have a whole lot of firsthand experience um, talking with prostitutes, so I don't I don't know how this uh, uh, holds true to our day. But but I think the I think you probably don't have to test this one. It's the notion that um, they're not thin skinned about what they do. You're not going to shock them into saying, "Wow, can't I mean, can't you believe how wrong this is? Uh, don't you want to abandon this life?" And they're going to say, "No, I, I don't want to abandon this. I know exactly what I'm doing. In fact, I'm a little frustrated or upset that you're trying to make me feel bad about it because I've worked very hard. In fact, to make sure that it does not bother me, my, my conscience is not troubled by this. Uh, I don't have second thoughts or regrets." Uh, or despise this life. In fact, I have embraced it with my whole being. I consider it a positive good. It's a fine way to make money, et cetera, et cetera. Um, I mean, this isn't what we want to dwell on maybe, but I think it's very important for our day because this expression implies that you don't have to fall into that kind of debasement to adopt that kind of attitude to adopt the attitude that says, whenever somebody tries to bring correction to me, they're the ones who are being cruel. They're the ones who are trying to throw me into a bad feeling or to make me feel bad or to bring shame upon me. And how dare they do that to me? Uh, That's a very serious problem. Well, the purpose of God's commandments is not really to bring shame upon us to make us feel bad. It's to expose what is absolutely the case. Um, perhaps it needs to shock us out of our complacency, and that may very well feel bad. But 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 to confuse all of our feelings and reactions with the nature of God's word or or with the intention of God's word both of those are really dangerous things. Uh, There's a a way in which, you know, something that feels bad to us, well, I'm going to just avoid that at all costs. And and in this case, this expression about setting your forehead so that nothing bothers you is almost identical to the phrase, the hardness of heart that you've just seared yourself off. You've, You've built a protective kind of shield on yourself so that these words no longer matter to you so they no longer have an impact on you uh, you know uh, we talk about developing thick skin I think if you're in a public place right if you're on the radio all the time or if you're a, a political leader you know everybody's gonna have their complaints about you and and sometimes we talk about it's good not to be thin skinned not to take it all to heart you got to kind of just learn to ignore it right when, when we learn to ignore the word of God like this that's when we become Immune to the correction, immune to the to the call of the prophets, which is both return, as in repent, confess your sins, right, admit something's wrong here. It's not all roses, uh, but also the the seeking for remedy, the willingness to say, I need to be corrected because I need to be brought into something far better. I need the forgiveness of sins. I need mercy. Uh, this is not right, even even if I've come to terms with it and am pretending like it is right. So so uh, I think this phrase kind of shocks us too, uh, but there have been times I think all of us have to look back at what we've done, look back, especially not at just at the sins, but how we reacted when somebody suggested that, hey, you know, this doesn't seem entirely right. And did we react by snapping at them? Did we react by saying, you know, hey, stop making me feel bad or, or uh, pay attention to what you're doing. Ignore me. Don't worry about me. You worry about yourself. This is what that expression means. Uh, and it's it's close to uh, if not imp- approaching the hardness of heart which which should be frightening to us as christians this is what our lord talks about as the sin against the holy spirit the refusing right what have you hardened yourself off to so the holy spirit no longer is going to be any uh, effectiveness to you because you've got your teflon put on so uh, you know who are you who are you protecting yourself from in our wickedness, we think we're protecting ourselves from being injured, right? Because because we'll have shame put upon us. In reality, though, we're protecting ourselves against the word of God and against his spirit. And and to do that is not just to cut yourself off from some bad feeling and some shame, but but it's also to cut yourself off from the forgiveness of sins and the mercy that comes only to sinners, only to people who who recognize this problem and and are I mean, ought to be, of course, glad to receive that help. So, Right.
0: I mean, this fits in very well with what we talked about in the previous text, where in Oats 2, verse 35, where the, the people of Judah and Jerusalem are saying, I'm innocent. And, and the Lord actually says, you're going to receive judgment precisely for that, for saying you haven't sinned. And the reason they they're saying that is because they've got this hard heart, or maybe you could think of it in terms of a, a callous a calloused conscience, yes. one on which the the word of God no longer has any effect. And and when that happens, you know, well, okay, you you might be able to avoid the, I guess you said, you know, the pain of the moment, but but you end up closing yourself to the good news, the healing balm of the gospel, you know, the Lord, the Lord kills so that he can make alive. I mean, that's, that's baptism. That, that's what he, you know, he, he drowns the sinner so that he can raise the new man. And when we become callous to that, when we become hard hearted, that's the worst possible thing. He said, that's the, that's the sin against the Holy spirit. And that's the, again, that's the
1: tragedy of what's happening here among the people of Judah. Yeah. And Jesus says, you know, I'm a, the good physician. I've come not for the well, but for the sick. And, uh, I've come not for the righteous, but, to bring sinners to repentance. This is precisely what the Lord is saying there: that uh, that He's come uh, with rescue. Of course, it involves correction, uh, but but the end of His preaching, the end of His prophecy through His servant Jeremiah, is not to be the destruction. That would be the most foolish thing in the world. It should be for the the rescue, the the healing, the the return, the kind of stuff that that Jeremiah does break into here at the end, talking about the northern kingdom. Uh, but the thing that that ends up making Judah worse, you know as he says very plainly in 11, uh, the thing that makes it worse is this doubling down, this pride, this this impenitence is the classic word that Christians use for it refusal to admit failure, re- refusal to consider repentance and thus you cut off the forgiveness of sins. Uh, and for uh, for us as Lutherans, this is the, the most important thing we preach is the forgiveness of sins for Jesus' sake. If we have to talk about what's wrong, if we have to talk about the law, it's never going to be with a mean spirit. It's never going to be out of malice just to accuse people and leave them in the ditch and you know, tear them down and then walk away laughing. It's always going to be for the sake of mercy. It's like the um, it's like the doctor's diagnosis. You know, he's got to, he's got to stick that biopsy needle way down in there. Man, I don't want to do that. I don't want to experience that. Uh, but but if it's part of the diagnosis process, that you know, that of course that pain is not going to cure me. But if, but if that's able to diagnose the problem and bring the balm or bring the, the healing or the medicine that's needed, you know, it's, of course it's worth enduring that small amount of pain to receive the cure, the, the healing. And, uh, and therefore, when we as Christians uh, in our families, when we as pastors uh, preaching or, or counseling or um, uh, speaking to our members, when we have to apply this law of God, just keep this in our minds that we're always doing it not with the goal of, of uh, leaving them in the ditch but with the goal of of administering what will heal them which is the forgiveness of sins
0: yeah and that's that's definitely Jeremiah's goal as well we're going to keep looking at that on the other side of the break you're listening to Sharper Iron on KFUO looking at the first part of Jeremiah chapter 3 with Pastor Sean Denzer we're going to take a short break we'll be right back please stick around Welcome back to Sharper Iron. It is Monday, May 17th. We're studying Jeremiah chapter 3, verses 1 to 18 with Pastor Sean Denzer. He is the Director of Worship for the Lutheran Church Misery Synod and also the chaplain for the International Center there in St. Louis. Pastor Denzer, prior to the break, we were looking at this first part of Jeremiah chapter 3, how the, the Lord through the prophet Jeremiah is exposing the great sin of the people in their hard-heartedness, their callous conscience. They aren't Listening, We left off with about verses 4 and 5. And verses 4 and 5, it sounds like the people of Israel are calling out to the Lord, but not in faith. Is that what's, is that what's going on there in 4 and 5?
1: Yeah. Um, I mean, I think there is, look, as we said before the break, we're so concerned because of what our Lord says, that repentance for the forgiveness of sins ought to be preached in Christ's name. That we tend to be quick with the gospel, uh, and there's nothing wrong with that, of course, uh, but there is a sense in which we need to realize the Lord's mercy is not to be presumed upon. Uh, Paul talks this way when he says, uh, You know, now is the day of salvation, right? Uh, th- it's never something you can just put off forever. Uh, many things in the Old Testament talk about uh, people will seek it. People will seek the Lord's mercy. And and, uh, think of Esau and his cautionary tale, right? Sought it with tears, but could not receive the blessing after it was too late. Um, uh, Certainly the last day is going to be too late to repent. And those who have that attitude like, well, we'll just wait and see. And then if, uh, if Jesus comes back, I guess I'll believe him and then I'll repent. No, the, the the words of the Bible say, uh, we've got to look at that now. And that's kind of what's going on here. Again, harking back to the beginning of the chapter where it talked about this, uh, you know, a wife who was unfaithful to her husband and was divorced uh, and, and was fine with it probably because she was running around on him anyway. The second marriage fails and now she goes back to the first one hoping there'll be mercy this time. And according to the law of Moses, there's to be no mercy there. There's to be no receiving that one back. Uh, and that's the sad situation that's approaching here, right? We've seen this with the northern kingdom, right? That at some point the Lord hands them over to exactly what they've asked for for so long. And uh, and there can be a time when it's, when it's too late. We see this in the ten virgins parable that Jesus tells also, right? uh, uh those five foolish virgins that run off come back, and they knock on the door, and the Lord says to them, I tell you the truth, I did not know you. Therefore, watch, for you never know the day or the hour. Uh, this is the same message, that that we're not to presume on the Lord's grace. We're not to take it for granted. We're to take every advantage of it, which means to, to seize it now, uh, uh, to, to repent now, uh, to trust in God and his mercy now, because the day may come when it's too late yeah and so again Jeremiah continues to preach in verses six
0: and following. Jeremiah opens up with a an extended account, maybe you could call it the the tale of two sisters and before we look at it specifically he we get one of those historical notices in verse six that you were mentioning at the very beginning, the Lord said to me in the days of King Josiah. What's the what's the context here that will help us with what Jeremiah
1: preaches in these coming verses? Josiah, like Jeremiah, was a real young guy. Uh, I think he was, what, 16 when he uh, became king or eight when he became king and 16, I think, when he kind of started following the Lord. And uh, uh, his reign started about 640, 641 BC. And he's the one who Turn back to the Lord. He's the one, in fact, who had that great moment where he's in the uh, where he's in the temple, and he realizes they find the book of the law, which is an amazing thing to hear. And he tears his clothes, and he's—I mean, it's kind of like they came to realize they hadn't been doing any of the sacrifices; they hadn't been doing the right worship of God. And you know how clear he is in Leviticus for all these years. And he's kind of like, what in the world is going on? How can we make up for this? Uh, well, we got to start somewhere, right? We're going to start now. Uh, and even before that happened, Josiah is known for going around tearing down the high places. He made Jerusalem the center of Israelite worship. He he forbade uh, those bald mountains and those uh, uh, trees, which we'll get to in a second. Uh, so. So you see the notice of Josiah and you say, oh, this is going to get a lot better because Josiah is the reformer. He, he's the, the good king. Uh, but of course, if you know the whole story as we do now, he's also the last good king and he's almost he's the second to last king that Israel gets to appoint because they become uh, vassal servants after that. And he's, he's in the last five, I think, kings of Judah before finally they're carted away to Babylon. So it doesn't take, in other words, uh, and that is and that is why we see that Jeremiah is prophesying. I think not before King Josiah comes along and and turns things around, but after, which which is. Sad. Uh, I, I do think, as you read the account of Josiah, especially in Second Chronicles thirty-four, you don't get the impression he's faking it. He, he's sincere. He he, he d- puts great effort and great cost into this reform. You know, he does things that would have been very unpopular, tearing down those high places in local local temples. Uh, but it doesn't last. His his son is a wicked king. Uh, uh, it doesn't convert the hearts of the people of Judah. And, and, and that's then going to be this real accusation against this sister, the one that seemed to be doing the right thing, but her, but her heart wasn't in it. It was actually just kind of actions uh, with no substance to them.
0: Hmm. So the, the two sisters are Israel, the northern kingdom, and Judah, the southern kingdom. What is it that Jeremiah preaches about these two sisters, and, and how does he use that then as is he's is he preaching in the, the days of Josiah?
1: Sure. So uh, at the time of Josiah, already the northern kingdom, Israel, has been carried off, right? So they're the cautionary tale. Uh, They rejected the Lord. They never feared him. Uh, They they continued to commit idolatry, which is adultery, spiritually speaking, with God, and they were destroyed. Hezekiah, of course, was there at the time when uh, he returned to the Lord and Assyria was wiped out in in kind of this one night battle where the Lord fought for his people, uh, which... I mean, you have the negative example of Israel. You have the positive example of Hezekiah and and the Lord's work there. Shouldn't that be enough? And as Jeremiah is going to say, it wasn't, right? Uh, so so he points out uh, all the things that the northern kingdom of Israel did. You've got this every high hill and every green tree. Uh, what does that mean? Uh, well, I get the sense from a number of other places in the scriptures that uh, it's under the trees that certain kinds of activities Take place, I think, in usually in love songs, right? Uh, so, so it's already got that kind of uh, physical sexual connection to it. But also, uh, the Asherim is a very particular kind of false idol worship in in these days. That's it's kind of like a maypole kind of thing, um, a tree like or a pole uh, that becomes the center of worship, and it, it was closely connected to fertility and other kind of pagan rites. But these were among the things that Israel was falling into, either carving idols and temples and putting them on the high mountains or uh, bowing down and worshiping around these Asherim poles, uh, where probably some kind of fornication was going on, right? So, okay, he's, he's planted that uh, seed already. He'll, he'll develop that rhetorically in a little bit. Uh, but, but here you get again, the, the thought of God, well, she's fallen into all this stuff, but she'll return, Right. Uh, and she did not. And, and maybe this is the surprise, and her treacherous sister Judah saw it. How in the world is Judah treacherous? I thought Judah was the better one. I thought Judah was still around. We had Hezekiah turn things around at the last minute, right? We got Josiah who's uh, undertaking these great reforms to bring back the true worship of God. No, right? Uh, uh, Verse 8, she saw all the adulteries of the faithless one Israel, the northern kingdom, that I'd sent her away with a decree of divorce, kind of a double meaning there, not just uh, hearkening back to the beginning of the chapter, but also sent away quite literally by having her carted off by Assyria and and, uh, assimilated and, uh, and spread to the hills so that the ten tribes of northern Israel no longer can be found. Yet her treacherous sister Judah did not fear, but she too went and played the whore. Because she took her whoredom lightly, I think that's referring to Israel's, uh, because Judah took Israel's whoredom lightly, she polluted the land, she committed adultery with stone and tree, kind of a a poetic way of saying, right? Uh, With those Asherim poles and uh, bowing down to stone idols, right? Uh, This idolatry is spiritual adultery. And then here's kind of the really the key verses, verse ten. For all this, her treacherous sister Judah did not return to me with her whole heart, but in pretense, declares the Lord. And so this suggests that all of Josiah's reforms, which which appeared sincere, were were not taken to heart by the people, uh, even by his own son, who who becomes a wicked king as well. But it was just done outwardly. Uh, I mean, this is a per- perennial problem. Uh, with the Jewish people, we see this at the time of Christ with Phariseism, uh, and his accusation that uh, uh, you know, they're, in vain do they worship me, treating the traditions of men as if they were commands of God. Or many things in the prophets say this also that you know, they, they uh, their lips are close to me, but their hearts are far from me. I've even heard uh, modern-day Jews of various levels of orthodoxy still speak about uh, the the works of their people as a positive. You know, what is it that defines and enables the Jewish people to continue after so many negative things that have happened throughout history? You know, the the um, the genocide in World War II being just part of it, right? Uh, and they'll point to this. Well, we have we have our kind of religious ceremonies. We have our markers of being a people, and 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 we have our our worship, our distinct uh, foods, and these sorts of things. And that enables us to have an identity that can that can outlast hardships. You know, uh, you know. Not saying that we believe it. You know, not saying that we're all Orthodox Jews anymore. But uh, but at least we have these kind of outward things, and and uh, it's good to appreciate those, uh, even if you are not an observant Jew. Uh, I mean, I think there's kind of a, a secular way, I guess, where you can appreciate that. But hearing that as somebody who's looked at the scriptures, looked at, especially if you're a Christian and you have Jesus comments on the Old Testament, uh, but but even if you're not, even if you're just looking at the words of the prophets here. That is deeply wrong in the Lord's understanding. He is not just interested in preserving a people in a secular sense. Uh, he does not think it's impressive to do the rites and to you know to go to temple on the Sabbath, uh, but but not really to believe in God or or uh, you know take it seriously or, or think it matters. Uh, or you know, uh, you know, I, I go to. Uh, I don't eat meat. I, I don't eat pork, but I uh, uh, but I certainly don't pray or something. This is an abomination in God. And, and as he's about to say, in a sense, it's he God considers this worse because this is this is lying. If anything, it's kind of using him as cover to try and seek all the advantage from him without actually showing real love. If we want to get back to the image of of, of God, the husband with his bride, the church or his bride Israel. Um he hates this kind of pretend. Uh, and, uh, this formalism, you might call it that, uh, that we do all the outward things, uh, but we don't actually believe it or buy it, uh. In our day, we're very tempted to this, especially if we just kind of act uh, as if we believe in the resurrection of the dead or, or we, we act as if we're going to celebrate Easter. Uh, but as to really thinking somebody rise from the dead, as to really thinking the Bible, you know, contains truth about God's miracles or, or about a world ending or God actually would be mad, you know, for our sins. Ah, well, that's that's just kind of old fashioned stuff. Uh, this, is, this is what would earn his kind of accusation today. Hmm.
0: Certainly. I mean, it's not just Orthodox Jews that you might hear that sort of attitude from, but it is Lutherans confirmed Lutherans that you might hear that kind of attitude from, of course, not, not toward the same thing, but in terms of, you know, we've got these outward things. So we're good without having the real faith in the heart, which is, I, I think that's, that's what makes, that's what makes Israel, despite the fact that Israel's is faithless in verse 11, that's what makes her to be more righteous than treacherous judah is that i mean judah has has just taken what israel did and instead of learning from it and repenting has actually added sin upon sin and made it worse
1: yeah i, I mean i don't really think that the lord is trying to say that he was happy with uh sure. <laughs> or, the, right. or right. around he's been calling talking about for the last two chapters uh in the northern kingdom but but there's a kind of a way in which he's rhetorically saying. At least they were honest about it, right? They had their forehead set strong. They they knew what they were doing, and they weren't lying about it. You guys are pretending. You're still doing all the same things, and you have the same kind of heart, uh, but uh, but but you're trying to cover it up with a nice religious veneer. That is a, I mean, that is abusing me doubly over. Uh, and that is something I hate. It's an abomination. It's a bigger abomination, you might say, uh, than just sinning. And, and it goes back to what we talked about for with that expression, the forehead, like a horror, hardness of heart is, is uh, deceit in the heart. Is, is is doubly sin and, and, and is the thing that is is most uh, horrible in God's sight, uh, to lie about it, to, to be impenitent. The sins our Lord has died for on the cross, uh, they should be taken care of quite easily. But then to to stand and say, well, you know what? I think I can handle it on my own. I mean, that is really to take God's grace and throw it into the trash can and say, well, I don't, I don't really need that. I'm going to do it on my own or not at all. And the Lord says, "My, God. I mean, that is ungratefulness." Hmm.
0: Yeah, yeah. I mean, that's 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 what earns the the locking key of the office of the keys. I always make a point of of when we go through that in the catechism. You know, the difference is not from one sin to the next, but it is a matter. All are sinners. The difference is is penitence. The difference is repentance and and to, to say I don't need forgiveness right I mean if we say we have no sin we deceive ourselves mm. and the truth is not in us I mean, we, there's a reason we use that in the liturgy we need that reminder over and over again just like the the people of Israel and the people of Judah both needed it in the days of Jeremiah we've got about nine minutes here Pastor Denzer I want to make sure we, we continue on because we get I shouldn't say for the first time it's not for the first time but we get a, a pretty clear proclamation of returning. At this point, I mean, it's been a lot of, you know, Jeremiah has just been laying it on about how the people of Israel have forsaken the Lord as their only true God. He's, he's exposed it in a variety of ways. Now we get a call to return and, and it is in the context of, of this matter of the two sisters, he says, return faithless Israel. And Jeremiah is even told to proclaim these words to the North is, is this a, and and, take this and, and run with it in terms of going into the text, but is this a return to the Northern kingdom? Is it to both? How's he using the word Israel there in verse 12?
1: I I mean, I think there's, it's never as if either kingdom is out of the Lord's attention. Uh, if anything, it- in a lot of the different prophets, we turn to one so that we can eventually turn to the other and, and turn the tables, right? Uh, there's, there's always this kind of sisterly rivalry <laughs> between Israel and Judah. I mean, sometimes they even were at war with each other, right? Uh, so so while, you know, if the chips are really down, they're going to be on each other's side, hopefully. Uh, but they always kind of don't mind seeing the other one getting, you know, their comeuppance or or getting embarrassed or humbled, you know, and then they can kind of say, yeah, that's right. That's my, that's my, uh, I don't know. I'm an only child, so I don't understand it intimately. Uh, <laughs> but uh, so there's always that kind of attitude. And the prophets, Amos uses this especially, uh, uh, and Jeremiah, I think, has done it too. There's a way in which you can turn to one and, and give it to them. And 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 that makes the other, you know, give it to Israel and Judah kind of sits there quietly and says, you know, out, out in public is kind of shaking its head and going, oh, it's just too bad. And inwardly in the heart kind of going, yeah, yeah, they deserve that. Yeah. I'm kind of, kind of happy to see them getting it. Right. But that enables then, uh, the prophet to turn and kind of wheel around and say, oh no, now it's time to talk about you, right? You're worse. I mean, that is a shock and, and, and is intended to cause, uh, to incite repentance uh, uh, to make it very clear. Uh, And in a sense, I think the Lord would be just happy to provoke the Southern kingdom uh, rather than, in a sense, to turn their uh, their wicked attitude against them and to improv- provoke them now to jealousy and, and to envy and, and therefore to follow after what the Lord is proclaiming to the north, right? If God is proclaiming this to the north, that they can return, that he wants to be merciful to them, that he wants them to acknowledge their guilt, uh, that they rebelled so that he can uh, bring them back into his fold and have mercy on them, then Judah ought to do the very same thing, right? Uh, they ought to be provoked to that kind of jealousy, and this is this is this is, a, I think, much more familiar kind of a text to us. These are the kinds that uh, we like to read, right? Where God says, hearkens back to His words to Moses on the on the Mount Zion, right? Uh, that I am the Lord, uh, merciful, uh, slow to anger, right, and abounding in steadfast love.
0: So, yeah, I mean, and, and again, you have in those verses this, you know, the emphasis on acknowledging and confessing what you've done. You know, again, that that which Judah and Israel both have refused to do, that is what the Lord calls them to do is to acknowledge, to confess so that they would, in fact, return. We get more promises from the Lord, uh, ones that are going to sound familiar to us from, from other other sections of Scripture, shepherds after the Lord's own heart, the the matter of nations being gathered to Jerusalem and to Zion. We've got about just under five minutes here, Pastor Denzer, to to kind of hit the high points of of these promises that the Lord makes here at the end of our text today.
1: Sure, and and elsewhere in the prophets too, this this idea of coming back to Zion, right, coming back to Jerusalem. That means, uh, which is in the Southern Kingdom, which is Judah territory, right. Uh, so, so, the Lord is not throwing away Judah either. How could He, uh, if He's trying to bring people back to Zion? Uh, but the point is, you ought to live up worthy to it, right? Uh, if 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 God is going to return these wicked sisters up north back to you, then shouldn't you be the more honorable uh, sister as well, Judah? So I think there's even a, a rebuke that's kind of there. When you get to 15, yeah, this shepherds after my own heart. The other place uh, that the Lord has used that in the past is with David. He's the man, the the king after God's own heart. In fact, it was a shepherd himself. Uh, So this is a Davidic kind of a call. And David, of course, is the one who internalized personally this kind of call of the prophets and call to repentance. We we love these penitential Psalms of David, Psalm 51, Psalm 32, surrounding his adultery uh, uh, with Bathsheba and, and the murder of Uriah. And uh, I mean, I hope our listeners have had a chance to investigate those passages, have heard good preaching on it, have uh, made use of them in their own uh, examination of themselves and their Uh, perhaps uh, as they prepare to confess their sins and receive absolution individually from their pastors. Uh, Those are some of the most helpful passages for that. Uh, Now the Lord is preaching the same kind of message, not in a very individual way uh, as we have with David, but preaching it to the whole nation uh, and inviting all of us individually to take it to heart, but also uh, to, to see it as a whole people, right? And what's the Lord going to do as a shepherd? Uh, What is Christ going to do when he comes as the good shepherd? He's going to feed with knowledge and with understanding. Uh, It's hard not to think of Psalm 51 and the way it talks about uh, uh, to have uh, wisdom in the secret heart, uh, to not have deceit in the heart anymore. Which is, which is a twofold twofold wisdom. It, it's the wisdom that's not duplicitous anymore, that's no longer being impenitent, but acknowledges sin. That's the work of God's law. But also the, the, the glorious knowledge of the forgiveness of sins, the gospel, the comfort that comes from the work of Jesus Christ and the forgiveness won by his blood. All of that is what it means to feed with knowledge and understanding. He's going to multiply them, right? That's what sheep do, or that's the idea, at least, in the pastures. Uh, They'll be increased in the land, and here's where we make a shift, right? So uh, here we're going to make a shift uh, where the land is not just north or south anymore, but we're all going to be together, right? Uh, Yeah, Jerusalem's going to be the throne of the Lord, but who's going to come to it, right? The nations are going to come to it. The house of Judah shall join with the house of Israel, and together they'll come out of the north and come into the whole land uh, and, and inherit this heritage. So this is a great promise uh, of the gospel. Now there is something uh, interesting there that that uh, Jeremiah takes the moment to say. There is going to be no ark of the covenant anymore. Which which might be surprising. Isn't that the reason that we want to be in Zion rather than the high places? None of those high places have the ark of the covenant. They don't have the presence of the Lord uh, dwelling between the cherubim, shining forth with His glory and and uh, and being merciful. Uh, uh, covering over their sin with the blood of the sacrifices. So uh, there's a hint that something more is coming. And the something more is fulfilled by Christ, of course. I really think this is the sense of that curtain being torn open at Christ's death. Is not to say that we just have access to God now through Christ, which is true. Uh, but, but to kind of show that, uh, that there's no man behind the curtain here. There There is no Ark of the Covenant, no power of the Lord, no no thing being wielded by the Pharisees and the Sadducees in the temple. Uh, the temple of God is Christ himself, the one who just died for our sins, but the ones who was raised three days later. Uh, so, so that's, I think, already a hint at everything Jesus says with that woman, that the time is coming when Uh, The Father will be seeking those who worship in spirit and truth, uh, which means that the Lord isn't going to be limited to one place anymore uh, or or to even the dwelling that he commands. But he's going to be, I mean, again, to the heart worship, the worship that comes from the word of God and his spirit, the worship of Christ uh, and what he has done for us.
0: Pastor Sean Denzer is the Director of Worship for the Lutheran Church Missouri Synod and the Chaplain for the International Center in St. Louis, helping us today with Jeremiah 3, verses 1 to 18. Pastor Denzer, thanks for being our guest today. My pleasure. I'm your host here on Sharp Iron, Pastor Timothy Apple of Grace Lutheran Church in Smithfield, Texas. If you have any questions about the book of Jeremiah, any comments on the show, please download the new KFUO app find it in your app store whatever kind of mobile device you have you can find it there use the open mic feature to send up to a 60 second message to us we'd love to hear from you thanks for spending the morning with us talk to you again tomorrow